Welcome to Hot Yoga Radio this extremely fine day, January 23. I'm taking a bit of an extended trek today. I've gone off my little habitual circumambulation. Bins the weather is so fine. Well, weather report, of course, you do need to get your weather report. It's absolutely blue wherever you look. Sun's bouncing off the sun's bouncing off the sea in a great big dazzlement. You can actually see right the way to the Pembroke Pembroke Peninsula in South Wales from up here and over at the Clean, the North Wales Peninsula. Just turning your head a little. Cadridris covered in snow. Spectacular with the sunlight bouncing off it. Well, it's out of this world up here, to be honest with you, and that's, that's why I'm here. <laughs> and it'd be fun if we could ch- walk down this track one time and chew the fat. It certainly helps you to focus your mind or unfocus your mind if you uh, need to be doing that. Because <laughs> that's a, a thing that people need to do from time to time as well. So, today... I'm out of breath. I'm still climbing up actually. It's been climbing for the last hour and it's still going up. So today I want to ponder what the hell Nietzsche was on about when he said if you stare into the abyss, the abyss will stare right back at you. Now Nietzsche was a man liked his purple prose and his very very neat turns of phrase and you suspect sometimes he kind of gets carried away with the the fun of it so does he actually really mean anything at this point or is he just putting some words together that sound kind of fine well, I'm going to take it that he was he was being serious, and that there is a serious point. Now, what is the abyss? Well, I'm kind of standing on the edge of this track, and the, the land drops away very, very quickly into a, a deep valley, which is composed of. Lots of little tiny fields and there's a ruined building there and another ruined building over there. And it's quite dark now because of the, way, the angle of the sun. So that's the abyss in a sense that, you know, if I, if, I, if I threw myself there, I'd just roll down to the bottom and probably uh, do myself a mischief. And you'd have this sense of the land just dropping away at your feet. And of course, nature was fond of going off into the Alps. I spent time in Switzerland at Silsmere and he loved the mountains a mountains figure in his, his writing too was the kind of symbolism of retreating to the mountains and into a cave somewhere off out the reaches of the world so that's obviously something I can understand but I don't think he was meaning that kind of abyss though one is meant to conjure it I think in one's imagination when you hear the phrase that's the way the poetry of it is meant to work, I believe. In fact, there's a, a famous painting. 
which by one of the Nordic expressionists said, uh, yeah, don't hold me to that, I'm not 100% sure who it was. It was a painting of nature uh, from the back, standing on a rock and overlooking a big drop at his feet, you know, mist swirling in the valley. You know, real alpine abyss in all its sublimity. And of course, this is what's meant here, you know, the abyss is the sublime, that which uh, will overpower us come what may, should we encounter it, that, which to, that to which there is no resistance, that which is as fightful as fight itself, the abyss should one encounter it. And I think uh, the idea that the abyss can stare back at you kind of animates it, gives it a life, gives it a will, gives it a almost an agency. It has the agency to decide to gaze back at you. And of course in, in the mountains, that abyss, its sublimity is just how inanimate it is, how remorseless it is, in its indifference to animal life. You jump off the edge and there's only one outcome. It's that remorseless. Whereas nature's anthropomorphising it, or maybe at least animating it as, as a, a metaphor in his little one-line squib. And I think uh, from, that, from that we can imply that this abyss is inside us. It's part of our inner apparatus. It's a feature of our spiritual life. We contain an abyss. That's what that's about. We contain an abyss. Well, I think this applies to all aspects of life. Emotional, spiritual, sensory. That which is connected to the body, that which is somatic. That experience which is in, in the realm of thought and ideas and our struggles to understand. And the abyss overlaps all of these. Uh, for, to start with, I'm going to just think about the abyss in, in, the, in the world of, of our path of thought, our, in the world, in, in the inner world of our paths of thought. And the abyss to me there connotes nothing other than nihilism, nothing other than the power of negation, the power of destruction, the power of emptiness, the power of the nothing, nihilism, and the way, in a sense, it acts as a kind of a heavy attractor, like a black hole in the centre of things, in the in the in the in in all the possible conceptual apparatus that we can call upon. An abyss of nothingness sits at the middle of it, and the way that abyss pans out, say, in the life of thought is that it brings us to a limit of logic and a limit of the concept of truth and a limit of the concept of knowledge and a limit of, limit of the concept of being. Because whenever we try and vouchsafe any of these conceptual uh, items we find that we can't, 
that there's a sense in which they're always built on sand. There's never a secure foundation. And you can say like nihilism is the the insight which is inevitable should one think hard and long and deep enough about what we know, about what we are, about what is, about what is possible via vis of knowledge, about what the truth is. What truth as truth is the truth about truth. And in every case we kind of hit circularity and self-reference and petitio principio. In other words, to try and figure out the truth about truth, you need to assume that you know what truth is at the outset. To find out the being of beings, you need to have some assumption around being, or about beings at least, before you can start. Because you couldn't even start to think about it. You couldn't put a proposition together about it, because just putting a proposition together presupposes the being of the subject and the being of the predicate. That they just in a very simple, straightforward way, unquestion, unquestionable way, exist. So, so that abyss in the world of thought is the impossibility of certainty, I suppose you might say, or, or certainly of a, a sort of metaphysical certainty, a certainty that's beyond what actually we need in real life. In real life we don't need that degree of certainty. And even science doesn't supply it. But there's plenty of uh, aspects of our ordinary life and as we go through life, as we take our daily walks and go to our places of work and look after our children and our relatives and our, our loved ones. We don't need to be that certain about stuff. We need, some, for some things, a fairly high probability and there is that. I mean, it's a very, very high probability indeed, I would say. And you should estimate it as such. That if you jumped out of your bedroom window, you'd, you wouldn't float up and take a lift on a passing cloud. You'd fall down and you'd hit the ground. And that's, that's certain enough. Even though very, very, very technically, it's a probability. But there's much more in life where certainty is a lot less than that, but we still act on it. And we have to act on it. And we have an ordinary sort of apparatus for making these sort of calculations and it, it does quite well a lot of the time obviously in novel situations you can come up against things that you don't really know how to calculate and you, you, you have to you rely on your hunch or your gut feeling or whatever and sometimes it's wrong so that's one of the the nihilisms you know is is uh, and people do entertain these noises, they entertain being nihilism, tell you nothing exists but the app man, or nothing exists full stop, <laughs> or, they can t or they'll tell you there is no truth, everything is permitted, and so forth. And of course logic, you know, that logic isn't what you think it is. It's corrigible, it changes over time. It has a history, it has a development. And so we can even, if we want to, entertain a kind of logic nihilism as well. And the abyss, it seems to me, is that that, that, that mocking black hole within us that tells us from time to time, don't be so fucking cocksure. 
Now you might think you might overcome the abyss by gazing into it, perhaps defiantly, perhaps just in astonishment, perhaps with awe and fear. But nevertheless, you see, it will look back. You gesture towards it, it'll gesture back towards you. It'll remind you, you know nothing. Quite possibly you are nothing. You certainly aren't what you think you are. And so on and so on. And that's uh, one way of encountering it. And of course the other abyss, which brings us to a topic that we... I keep promising to make a contribution on. And that is that we contain within ourselves the knowledge of our own deaths or the, the attraction to death, you might say. Or, if you like, just the fact that our system, the system which is us, is wearing out, is ageing, is succumbing to entropy minute by minute until one day the, the, the sustenance of consciousness and the sustenance of, of growth and feeding and excreting will vanish and will no longer be sustained by the, the atoms and molecules and the systems and the organ systems of the body so death is the abyss as well perhaps the, that's the spiritual emotional component death and maybe a detection within ourselves of you know, the old Freudian Thanatos, the death wish, which really is nothing other than the, the tendency of systems to decay and to, to be pulled into heat death you know, by inertia, by uh, the second law of thermodynamics, you know, or just by that cycle of growth and decay, which is life on Earth. So there's another thing that nature is getting at as far as I can see God it's wet up here <laughs> just negotiating the bog here now to get through a bulk of clan okay just summarising my takeaway here we contain an abyss it's just central to our, our life, our conscious life, at least. And it really is both our own future non-existence and the uh, And it reminds us, perhaps not to be overconfident uh, with the, the reach of our thought, but perhaps also to remind us not to be underconfident of the reach of our thought. So in a sense, we, we are, if we know ourselves, sublime, because we contain this sublimity. And if you've come that far, you will very frequently, I'm sure, gaze into the abyss and the abyss will gaze back at you 
Well, thank you for listening. Short and sweet. Possibly a bit crackers. Apologising for being out of breath. I've been climbing for like a good hour and it's still uphill. You may hear the snow underfoot now. Uh, as I'm kind of walking through this bulk of sand. I am going to have a little sit down in a minute. And take in the view. Mm. This is a kind of an abyss here. I call it a defile of becoming. Which is what an abyss is. It's a defile of becoming. And the hills sort of fold down. So I just turn around the way I've come. So I've come uphill. Let's fold down. One, then the other. And they form this sort of a V. And in there is the sea. And it's all kind of lit up with sparkly sunlight. And beyond there, actually, Bargy Island and Manithmaur at the end of the Fleming Peninsula, just outlining a sublime, this kind of violet colour. It's absolutely magnificent. And <laughs> I think I better go. So buy me a coffee, if you will. I'll put a link. And I'll remind you that we're going to do an event shortly. I'll keep you posted. It'll be a Zoom event. It'll be free. Be first come first served and it'll be fun and uh, instructive so over and out look after yourselves make knowledge great again over and out <laughs>